So if you're looking, Hebrews, and we're going to start in verse 23, and we're talking about faith in the life of Moses, but I want to actually read Hebrews 11.1 1 first, and it says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Think about that definition for a second as we talk about faith, the substance of things hoped for. When you think about hope, if you're hoping for something, then whatever it is in the area that you're hoping for is not yet fully realized. Whatever it is that you're hoping for is not in the sense that you wish it would be. And so that's why there's hope there. And if you think about that, that means faith has to carry some type of element of discontent because if not then there wouldn't really be any faith without discontentment there would be no faith really because you're hoping for something and if that's true um, that can almost be a little bit radical for some evangelical circles to say well in all faith there has to be a level of discontent but if that's true that should be a good thing because it means we're never perfectly content here on earth that good discontentment leads us to pressing into God it leads us to pressing into him. It leads us to knowing him more and growing in him. And ultimately, if you look at the second part of that verse, for the evidence of things not seen, we find assurance that what we hoped for can be answered in Jesus Christ. That's where we find it. So faith allows you to believe in past things, past truths that you didn't experience, but you know are true. Faith allows you to exist in a current reality, even though you don't know what you're about to happen. You trust in a God that you've never seen. Faith allows you to believe in what God has planned for the future, even though you haven't seen it come to fruition yet. See, when you think about a life of faith, there's so much that can be learned there. But I didn't say a perfect life because the people that we look at in God's word were not perfect. They're just like us in many, many respects. But there's a life of faith that's there. It's a striving. It's a trusting in God despite circumstances. And that's what we're looking at today in the life of Moses and in many others, even in his parents is where we'll start because they trusted in God despite the impending circumstances. They trusted in God based on God's consistency, God's track record, not ours. They trusted in God based on their knowledge of who he is, even in what they were facing. And so as we get into the word, if you turn with me, Hebrews 11.23 is where we'll start. And I'm going to read through verse 30. It says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. So five by face in that section. But the first one doesn't really have anything to do with Moses and an action of where he's at in a stage in his life because he's an infant. And so we're starting with his parents, really, um, Moses' father, Amram, and also his mom, Jacobet, 
those two are mentioned 16 times throughout genealogies and in the Old Testament. And as you start to look at that, um, it says in verse 23, by faith, Moses when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. See, Exodus 2 says the same thing about Moses. It says he was a beautiful child. In Acts chapter 7, it say, says the same thing. It says he must have been very pleasing to look at. I don't know. Maybe he was better than all the actors that played him in all the movies, Charlton Heston and all those guys. But it says that he was pleasing to look at. And so the first act of faith we see are his parents making a move of faith on his behalf. See, at that time, if you go back to Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, in Exodus chapter 1, it says there was a king, a new king, who didn't know Joseph. And as he continued on, he started to continue to make edicts that as he was afraid of the people of Israel, said he wanted to deal shrewdly with him. That's the language there in Exodus chapter 1 verse 22. He wanted to deal shrewdly with them. Really, he wanted to kill them. And if you look in the verses before that in Exodus 1:17, the midwives wouldn't do it because he gave them a decree and they didn't follow it. It says they followed the Lord. They feared the Lord. And so in 122, he says, OK, I'm going to make an edict that all the baby boys from the Hebrew baby boys, we're going to kill them off because he was nervous. The girls can live, the baby boys will be killed. And so his parents have to make a decision. And you know, the decision they make is by faith. They did it by faith. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And I think about Moses' parents, Amram and Jacobet, and I think about what are the things that tethered them to this decision, that tethered them to their child, you know, they never named him, or if they did name him, we don't know about the name that they gave him because we just see Pharaoh's daughter naming Moses. I don't know if they were maybe hoping for a girl, uh, but when Pharaoh's daughter drew Moses out of the river, that's where Moses gets his name from because she drew him out. You know, you think about Moses' family, his mom and dad, Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, they're all slaves. Okay. And they're from the tribe of Levi, which we think is esteemed, but it's not esteemed yet. So they're just really ordinary Hebrew people, but they have something. And they have what I think is what a lot of those Hebrew people had at that time is it's a faith in God. It's a faith in God that despite their circumstances, he was still with them. And the first act of faith we actually see on Moses' behalf was just that they didn't follow the federal system at that time, the federal system at that time said, hey, this is what you need to do. But I love these words. If you look in verse 23, it says they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, I know Romans 13 is very real, so I'm not telling you go out and disobey the government and become anarchists. That's not where we're going with this. But I am saying when the federal system, when the law system of your time tells you to do something contrary to God's word, that is a time to do something contrary to what it said. And that's exactly what his parents did. And, and by the way, just to take it a step back even further, you know, you have to see the unseen director in this whole drama trying to play out, you know, to really kill things off. And that unseen director is Satan. You know, Ephesians chapter six says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities, you know, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's really Satan who's directing this whole thing behind the scenes. All, going all the way back to Genesis chapter three, Satan's been trying to kill off the seed of the woman. We see it in Genesis chapter six when he tries to wipe out that seed. You know, it happens under Athaliah, the daughter of 
Ahab and Jezebel, who tries to wipe out the whole tribe of Judah. Only Joash survives. We see it with Haman. We see it again under Herod in Bethlehem. So we really have to go back and look who is orchestrating this whole thing. But Moses' parents are acting in faith. If you go back with me, turn back to Exodus chapter 2. And I want to read Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 2 and 3. Because his parents act in faith. Exodus chapter 2, verse 2 says this. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. So right there is the first act of faith, contrary to what the government system at that time would say, because she hid him. And not knowing if she would be killed, if she was found out, if Moses and her would be killed, but she acts in faith. I don't know what that must have been like, that act of faith, how much you probably prayed during those three months. Lord, let us not get found out, but also let this edict not come to pass. You know, Moses' parents are acting in faith. They never saw the movie. They didn't see Moses. They didn't see. They don't know what's going to happen. And so they're acting in faith on Moses' behalf because they trust in God. And it brings me to my first point that I think is relevant for all of us is just this. A life of faith will help you overcome fear. A life of faith will help you overcome fear. See, the moment when his parents knew the circumstances and decided to do that, they put those circumstances up against what they knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And they said, we know our God, so we're going to trust him. I think about the three children that I have. I have three children, and they're all boys, so very relevant to this story. And I think about what that must have been like being Moses' parents. You know, I'm nervous, um, probably a little bit too much worried uh, when my children are away from me. So no, I'm not supposed to worry. God is working with me on that one. But, you know, even when they're away from me, I'm always thinking about them until they're all back. We're all back together. And then there's as much more of a peace that I have. You know, imagine Moses' mom and dad, but especially his mom, when she's understanding not only she's hiding him, but what she's going to do next. So look at verse 3. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. Think about what she's doing. That had to be the, just excruciating for her to do that. And with his sister Miriam watching. And just those hours of what's going to happen. I wonder if she kind of stayed close to Miriam. We don't know. We know Miriam was there. I wonder if she kind of went away. But those excruciating hours of waiting to see what God would do. But I think that's relevant for all of us because the question I have is, are you in a difficult waiting period right now? Where you had to really, really put your faith and trust in Jesus and you didn't know what was going to happen. You might be in that difficult period right now. And I'll tell you to hold on because it's not always easy when you're in that period. People can always say, oh, trust in God. And you say, I don't know. You know the circumstances I'm in. You just want me to trust in God. But we look at God's faithfulness and what he does right here. You know, she's probably fighting back the fear, fighting back the worry, trusting in God. And we look at God's sovereignty in the fact that Pharaoh's daughter is going to bathe right at that moment. Think about God's sovereignty. Right at that time, God allows Pharaoh's daughter to bathe. That's not an accident. And so as you continue to read, as Pharaoh's daughter goes to the river and she's bathing and then Moses is there and she finds him and she pulls him out. Uh, Exodus 2, 6, it says the baby wept, wept. 
Think about her picking up Moses and those tears running down his face. You know, a pastor once said it like this. He said, the tears of Moses are going to be more powerful than Pharaoh and his decree. Because Pharaoh's daughter says, this must be one of the Hebrew children. And she goes against what her father had decreed. She's convicted to keep him alive. And how faithful is God that she finds a Hebrew girl and says, you know, Miriam steps right up in that moment. And she says, hey, do you want me to go find someone to nurse him? You know, I think I know a person. And Pharaoh's daughter says, absolutely. And so Moses is actually brought up in those early years by his parents. Think about how God faithful is. See, that's the faithfulness of God to Moses' mom, but that's the faithfulness of God to us. He does the same thing for us. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when we decide to put our trust in God. Let's keep reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. See, by faith, Moses does three things. I want you to make sure you catch this. Moses refused. Moses chose and Moses esteemed. And it's a progression, so I kind of want you to see it like that. His refusal is based on a choice. And his choice is based on an esteeming. It's based on a weighing, um, a considering, a measuring. It's based on placing things that Moses is seeing side by side to say, what am I going to do? I mean, think about what Moses is being offered. Moses is being offered the greatest power, the greatest kingdom, wealth, influence, just extreme opulence. We could try to understand what this is like, and we could still never understand what Moses is being offered. I don't know if he's offered like a Maserati chariot or a Ferrari chariot, you know. I mean, he's got everything, gold, armies, power, wealth. But sometime in Moses' heart, and I don't know if it's he's 25, he's 30, he's 35, sometime in there, Moses makes a decision because he's seen the court of Egypt. He's being raised to see that. And on one side, there is abuse and slavery. And on the other side, Moses is seeing power and wealth. And I wonder just how long was Moses looking at Egypt, looking at God's people on one side and Egypt on the other side and all he was offered and just weighing things out. I mean, we said it before, his family, even in the midst of this, are still slaves and eventually Moses decides to say, you know what? I know I'm being offered all this, but no thanks. No thanks. I'm not going to take it. You know, he answers an important question in life. And it's basically this. What do I want to do with my identity? What do I want to do with my identity? Where do I ultimately want my identity to be? And it brings me to my second point, which I think is so important, is this. A life of faith will anchor you to a lasting identity. See, Moses is done with temporary passing things. I don't know if he looked around and saw like, you know, pyramids and tombs and thought in his mind, well, okay, life is short, so I want to make my life, you know, count for something more than just that. But Moses decides to throw away the temporary things for something more. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us where to set our affections. Don't set our affections on the things of this world. Set your affections on the things that are above. And I wonder if he looked at God's people at that time. He looked at them in slavery. He looked at them in bondage and oppression. 
because those people had hope, like we talked about in the beginning. Those are people that had hope that burned inside them despite their affliction. Their hope was greater than the circumstances they faced. I mean, think about it. The Jews are being oppressed. They're made to work. They're whipped. And then at the end of the day, I wonder if Moses said, well, they're still singing. They're still talking to their children. They're still telling their children stories about God. They're still telling their children stories about, hey, even though we're in this really tough situation, our God is greater. He still considers us. He still loves us. And Moses had to notice the difference in God's people versus the difference in the Egyptian people in the courts that he was in. And even to look at Hebrews, I think it, it just brings a great context because the people who are actually reading the book of Hebrews, I think of those first century and second century Christians, can identify with affliction. They can identify with, you know, um, being just oppressed. They can identify with being looked on with ridicule. Those people who, even before they were Christians, are just known as followers of the way, uh, can identify with these type of things. They, they understand what it's like to be oppressed and persecuted under Nero. They know how hard it was under Claudius. And so even reading this, has had to encourage them. But then I think about us, and I think about that. Do others see us this way? Do other people see us this way? They see that in our eyes, like Moses probably saw it in the eyes of his people. They see that hope that's there, something that burns past what's normal. Do they see that when we're at our job? Do they see that when we talk to our friends? Do we bring that hope to others that even though 2020 is absolutely crazy and everybody's just waiting for the next thing, there's still a group of people who seem to have hope, who seem to have joy in the midst of everything that they're going through. See, Moses seems to be a child who had something planted in him deep, deep down in his roots from the very beginning that all the carnality of the Egyptian society could not pull out of him. That when he became a man, that process of weighing all these things out, Moses, like we should, kept the end game view in mind. That's my question for us today. Do we have the temporary view in mind or do we have the end game view in mind? Where's our identity found? What's your identity found in? And recently I was in California and I was at a camp and I was speaking to youth and there were lots of youth there and the ages range, but we were having this discussion on identity and they said they're getting bombarded more and more every day with just things that challenge where their identity should be found. And we all know about Snapchat and Instagram and all types of social media, which aren't bad in themselves. That's not what I'm saying. But they're things that challenge their identity on those mediums. They said, we're getting messaging 24-7 wherever we go that challenge our identity. And we spoke about having your identity tethered to Jesus Christ. You know, it's almost like Asaph in Psalm 73. If you read Psalm 73, he said, you know, my feet had almost slipped. I, I almost stumbled. You know, and he goes through and said, I was so frustrated by the wicked and, and the, the wicked seemed to prosper. They seemed to keep gaining riches. And then he says, until I went in the house of the Lord, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And he says, I discerned their end. See, Moses seems to have that. Whatever was put in him as a young boy, you know, the stories of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, he seems to have that faith that says suffering the reproach for the Messiah is greater than the passing treasures of this world. And it's kind of crazy because that's a decision that you and I have the chance to make too. We have a chance to make that decision. And so my question today is what decisions are before you? 
You know, we knew what decisions, we can read about what decisions are before Moses. We know about the pressure that he faced, but what is the pressure today that you're facing? I mean, some of us face difficulty where we work in opposing religious views or opposing um, world system views, and people will challenge you or challenge your reaction and challenge how you live when it comes to your stance on life or your stance on sexuality or your stance on absolute truth. Are we ready to stand in Jesus Christ? We said 2020 is a whirlwind. You know, the, the illness um, has us away physically. I can't physically be present um, as I'm talking to you this morning. We talked about the issues of social justice, which are great, which, you know, provoke us to conversation and action. We talked about um, just, just now the pressure that comes from standing for God, which means you will end up differing from how others have chosen to live. It's guaranteed. But Moses' faith was in God, not in Egypt, which caused him to make a bold choice. He didn't make a choice of comfort. He made a bold choice. You know, is our faith in God or is our faith in America? Because if it comes down to it, you know, America might change. What does that look like? Will our faith crumble if things change drastically in the country we live in? Or will we say, now we have a hope past just what we see here. We have a hope and a faith that trusts in God. You know, if your faith was in America in 2020, 2020 has probably been a difficult year for you. But it just behooves us. It reminds us that we need to go back and have a faith in God. You know, 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father. We need to put our hope in it. And Moses, you know, esteemed. Look at verse 26. He esteemed, which means he accounted for. There was a conclusion in his mind. In the Greek, that esteeming means this. It means like scales, like balancing things out. There was a weighing that took place. And it seems like he understood what was to come, even about Jesus. If you look in Luke 24, 44, Jesus is talking about it. And he says, I'm fulfilling the things that Moses talked about concerning me. You know, Jesus refers back to Moses. Even in Psalm 90, Moses writes, teach us to number our days. He understood there was a season of life and then it's going to come to an end. And he wanted it to count for something. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed. And Moses kept his eye continually on the journey that we are just passing through. I think it's something that we need to do. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Now we think about forsook, a lot of us think, okay, so he forsook. Was that the first time when, you know, he killed an Egyptian and he ran away? And we can talk about that because, you know, that's mentioned in Exodus and it's also mentioned in Acts chapter 7. You know, so there's definitely a time he forsook. Um, there's a great lesson too in that when Moses uh, tried to do things God's way, there's the righteous anger that Moses has when he's watching, you know, uh, his fellow Hebrew getting, you know, beaten by an Egyptian. But even in that righteous anger, Moses tries to do it his way. And when he tries to do it his way, see, when we try to do God's things our way, it never ends up good. It's a great lesson. Moses tries to do it his way. He ends up killing a man. And then as he's seeing another dispute, he jumps in and they say, well, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And he's so afraid because that news is getting around that Moses has to flee. So there's a, that's one forsaking. Some people think, well, could it be the second time 
that he forsook. Because there's a time where Moses left with the people in haste when Pharaoh finally said, just go. Probably knowing again that Pharaoh would change his mind and he takes God's people with him to cross the Red Sea. And that's definitely another time that Moses forsook. But I think the most important one is what was done even before those two. It's that primary forsaking. It's what happens before all the others is that internal decision that Moses made in his heart that says, this life is not for me. This lifestyle, these people, this is not for me. And let me tell you, the other two can't take place until that first one happens. See, there's no physical leaving until there's that eternal, I am going to be done with this. And so when I think about forsook, I think about three different times, the two we know of, but the one we don't think about, the one that took place in Moses's heart, when he says, I am going to forsake this because this is not of God. I want to pursue things of God. See, you could say he was fleeing and he was forsaking, but I would contend that he made that decision long ago in his heart before any of the other two happened. And it's a good lesson for us because the question we again should ask ourselves is, have we forsook Egypt? And when I say Egypt, I mean all the things that this world has to offer that it'll bombard you with. I used the word anchor earlier because this world will throw at you, you know, all kinds of things that just pull you away from what you're supposed to be grounded in. You know, and a lot of times, many of us try strategies and plans and programs to overcome struggles, you know. And I mean, I know people who have even physically moved to try to overcome the struggles that they were dealing with, but they still haven't made an internal heart decision that says, no, I'm going to leave. Because until we make that decision, the other things won't really change. You know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it's right, should be right near where we're at in the passage um, in Hebrews 11 in your Bible. It says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, when you forsake, you lay aside that weight. You throw off what hinders you. And you say, you know, I'm done with this. And a lot of times I think in regards to sin, in regards to compromise in our own life, we come most of the way. But sometimes we say, ah, Lord, not this one. This one I really, really like. I don't think it's really hurting me too bad. Let me just keep this one in my back pocket, Lord. This is the one I really, really like. I don't want to give this up. And God's saying, give this up so you could be in freedom. See, like Moses, you have to make a heart decision to forsake the world. But I think if you do that, we can see the fulfillment of joy. And it brings me to my last point is this. A life of faith will reveal your true purpose. A life of faith will reveal your true purpose. Read verse 28. Verse 28 says this. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. See, if you look at verse 28, that word kept means instituted. See, he instituted the Passover is probably more correct. Moses never read about this before. This never happened before. There's no blueprints for this. When God tells him what to do, you know, you go back to Exodus chapter 12 if you want to read about this. When God tells him what to do, he's saying basically, you know what, Moses, for, for the Hebrew people, for my people, this is going to be the beginning. This is going to be the first month 
of sorts, if you will. This is like the new New Year's Eve for God's people. You know, New Year's Eve for God's people is going to be Good Friday when they pass from slavery into freedom, when they go from struggle and bondage and oppression and on the other side of the blood of the lamb is peace and freedom and salvation. Think about that on the other side of the blood of the lamb. I imagine Moses getting all kinds of questions like, are you sure this is right? And this is how we're supposed to do it. And we just keep the door closed and, you know, we the, the sprinkle the blood. This is how it's supposed to be. And Moses saying, it will pass by you. You know, think about even that. That's true for you and me today. On the other side of the blood of the lamb for you and me are all those things. It's peace and it's freedom and it's salvation. You know, Colossians 1, 21 and 22 tells us where we were before that. It says, hey, once you were alienated from God, once you were enemies from God, it says once you were afar off, but once we've accepted God, once we've accepted his plan and his will, and we have faith in him, that gives us that peace and that freedom and that salvation that we were talking about. And it says, now we're friends with God. Once we were alienated, we were enemies of God. Now God calls you his friend because just like those people, you were covered by the blood and God sees you differently. Think about that. God sees us differently. We say it because we're covered in the blood because of the blood that was sprinkled God passed over. He saw those and those households as different, just like he sees you and me. Different from what the Egyptians experienced that night. And I can't even imagine what the torment and terror was that night in different Egyptian households waking up to find out what had happened. But God says, I see you differently because you're covered in the blood. Means I've rescued you. We deserve sin. We deserve hell because of our sin. We deserve death. But Jesus says, because you're covered, I see you differently. And that night, God's people were seen differently by the Egyptians that first pass overnight. And then look at verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Talk about fulfilling your purpose. I mean, I think about Moses just fulfilling his purpose. Imagine that sight. Imagine Moses leading his people, the Egyptians now coming, and the Red Sea parting. And Moses just walking through as on dry land, a sea. We couldn't imagine a river, a creek, let alone a sea, parted. Moses is in the middle of fulfilling his purpose. And he's not perfect. By any stretch of the imagination, Moses is not perfect. You know, we could look back on Moses killing the Egyptian and seeing his anger and saying, Moses is not perfect. We could look later and saying, oh, Moses, you were supposed to talk to the rock, but you struck the rock. That's different. You know, he's not perfect. There's moments where his faith is tried, but there's also moments where he see his faith in action. See, when we think about a life of faith, it's not a perfect life, but a life of faith that endeavors to say, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to put the world aside because I know what I'm after, that's the life we all want. Moses is mentioned over 785 times when you look at all the different references of scripture in the Bible. It's amazing to see all the different books from Exodus to Acts to the one we're reading in Hebrews. You think about the impact he was able to have and the impact that his parents started even early on. It's because he endeavored to follow a life of faith. 
And so as you're with me, maybe that's something that you've had trouble with lately. Maybe that's something you struggle with. Maybe you're just saying, it has been really hard to follow God, especially this year. Can you imagine? It's been really, really difficult to continue to follow. But let me encourage you. There's something better than the passing things of this world. That's what God has on the other end. And we continue to stay tethered to him. We continue to stay held down by him. We start to realize and he reveals those things and we see what God was doing. There's lots of moments where we don't know. But it's in those moments where we say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to do the act. I'm going to follow you. And we watch God work. God always, always, always rewards those who are faithful to him. We see it time and time and time and time again in his word. He does it here with Moses and he'll do it again with you and he'll do it again with me. But we have to be faithful to follow him. We won't be perfect. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if we can follow him faithfully and when we mess up, say, hey, Lord, forgive me, Lord. You know, like, like they said, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. Continue to increase our faith so we can follow you better. That's what he's after. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for you because, God, in the midst of crazy trying circumstances, you're the one who is consistent. God, you're the one who is always faithful to us. And we strive to be more faithful to you. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us as we follow you, Lord. Help us to look at people in your word who have very relevant things to, to share with us. Um, Lord, as we read, your word is very relevant to what we experience today in different ways, but still true. And so God, just as we look in your word, help us to take lessons from those who have gone before. Lord, they weren't perfect, neither are we, but we want to follow you as best we can. So God, help us to do that. And Lord, we praise you because you're consistent and you love us. 1 John 4 says, you loved us before we first loved you. And so, Lord, help us to follow you faithfully. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.